Well, guys, how you doing today? Doing all right? We, um, we love um, that God is a prospering God. He's a pro- he, he gives us what we need, right? You know, my uh, definition of prosperity is that you have enough for yourself, your family, and somebody else. It's not about being just rich, but when you have enough for yourself and to take care of yourself and to take care of somebody else, that is true prosperity. So I encourage you, find somebody to take care of. Okay, y- y'all didn't. Oh, okay. There you go. So, you know, the first of the month, we always like to pray over the finances. You know, here at Cowboy Church, if this is your first time here, we don't uh, do an offering time. We don't pass a, a plate up and down the rows or a bucket or anything like that. But um, we, we trust that you are in contact with God about your offerings. We provide a place back here at the back, or you can go online and, at n3c.tv and you can give there. But, but um, man, you guys are amazing, and we just love to pray over your finances. So I asked Lynette, to, Pastor Lynette to, uh, to do that this morning. So take it away. I Thank you. I just wanted to just briefly share... I know that there's a lot of us in here that are growing and learning and everybody's coming from a different place. And I just wanted to share just a little bit of our story that when we first got married, I knew what the tithe was, but the word tithe specifically means just 10% of your increase. So 10% of your income. And I knew what the tithe was and I would tithe if I didn't spend all my money at the Western store that I worked at that week. And so that was my form of tithing. And it wasn't until I got married that Darren taught me how to be faithful in the tithe. And specifically, what he taught me was how to not fear. And I think I think that everybody would say, yes, I want to trust God in my finances and I want to partner with him in my finances. And the way we do that is through tithing. What that does is it opens the door to give God access into our finances. And all he asks for is the 10%. And so learning to not have fear in giving God that 10%, what I've learned is that whatever you fear establishes the boundaries of your life. So if you fear in your financial area, that is what will establish the boundary in your life. And you will never step into the prosperity and the freedom in finances that God desires for us to have. The scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so the only thing that we are to fear is God. So if God is the only thing you fear, God is the one who establishes the boundaries in your life. If God is the one that you honor with your finances, God is the one who establishes the length and the breadth and the width and the height of his love through your finances. And there is no fear in trusting him with the 90% when you give him the 10%. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good trade. So this morning, what I specifically felt like, and I felt so confirmed through the worship, I want to pray over us for no fear in our finances, whether it's bills that you're facing, needs that you have, whatever. So if that, if you don't want fear in your finances, then just Close your eyes and agree with me. If you don't care about it, then close your eyes and think about what your grocery list is going to be today. (laughs) All right. Father, thank you so much for being our father, for being such a good dad. God, I thank you that your love for us is so far bigger and so far more reaching than anything that we can even dream up. And God, that love doesn't end when it comes to our provision. Father, I thank you for jobs. I thank you for promotions. I thank you for business owners and entrepreneurs in here being blessed in their endeavors. I pray for business owners in here 
who have businesses, Father, that business would increase and multiply so much so that they would need to hire more people and be able to bless more employees because you are blessing their business. Father, I pray over our checking accounts. Father, I pray that when we look at the number in our checking account, that we do not have fear over that number in comparison to the number that we see on bills or things that are coming in. Father, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a sound mind. And I declare that power, love, and sound mind over the area of finances and over godly prosperity. Lord, that you have blessed us to be a blessing. So Father, we press beyond that my needs are met according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And we trust you with the 10%, our tithe, and we press beyond just having enough to meet our needs, but we press into that I am blessed to be a blessing, that God pours so much out that I will not be able to contain all of it. And I purpose now in my heart to be a good steward of everything that God puts into my hands. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. How's everybody doing this morning? Are you uh, looking forward to uh, doing fireworks today? Yeah. Hold up your hands. Look at the, look at your fingers. That's how many you'll have let next week. All right. All right. All right. Well, it's good to see you guys this morning. Um, man, we had a good service at the Stampede last weekend, right? Who, who was there? Who was there? All right. Well, if you weren't there, you, you missed out on some. Because I, I preached last weekend. And you missed out on me. By the way, my name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church, and it's such an honor to... Um, be here with you guys to to be a um, a um, person who gets to speak into your life, and that God would give me the the words to speak to you where you, where you guys are at. So today, I uh, I just I, I thank you guys for coming. Thank you for joining us online. Whoever's online joining us out there, thank you so much. As they missed out last weekend. Um, when we went to the stampede, but man, what a, what a great venue, what a great service, uh, that we were able to, uh, do, do for, uh, the stampede last weekend. So it was such a, such a good deal. I, I think, I thank God for, uh, Pastor Shorty Huffman of Kersey Cowboy Church that's doing the service out there today. And, um, I, I pray that they prosper, uh, in, in that venue today as well. So, with that, if you have your Bibles with you, if you would go to Psalm 23, Psalm 23. This is where we uh, preached from last week, and um, I, was, I wanted to do a part two um, to that. And so hopefully, um, if, you, if you didn't hear it, I'm, I'm going to give you a little review, okay? Okay. All right. Well, this, is, this is not your grandma's church in here. You can talk, Okay. <laughs> This, and I appreciate it. It helps give me a little bit of boost as well. So in Psalm 23, you know, last week we started talking about we all have a past, right? Three of you. Um, yeah, we, we all have a past. And, and our past, uh, especially the things that we uh, did in our past that we're not proud of, those things that we know uh, we're, we're not good, we're wrong, that maybe we regret today. Uh, what, I, what I want you to know is that regret and guilt and shame of your past is one of the great tools of the enemy to create separation. The, the enemy loves to get you um, back in your past and, and those regrets and those things that you did uh, yesterday and behind you he loves to use that, leverage that as a tool to bring separation. Separation from uh, us from God, separation of us from ourselves, and separation from other people. It loves to cordon you off and, 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 um, and, and keep you uh, away from being together with God and yourself and other people. 
And so uh, with that, you know, last week I started talking about um, this text here in Psalm 23, and I asked the question, what's behind you? What's behind you? And, and here in Psalm 23, uh, what I want you to understand, if, if you've never heard this before, most people have heard Psalm 23. Most people hear it often at a funeral. But Psalm 23 is not a death psalm. It's, it's, a, it's a life psalm. Even though he talks about the valley of the shadow of death, it is not a death psalm. It's, it's living beyond going through and living beyond the valley of the shadow of death. Amen? And, and so uh, when, when David, King David penned this, he was a shepherd before he was a king. And he penned this, this psalm while he was a shepherd. And it's a, it's, it's a song about a shepherd's love for his sheep and, and the responsibility that he has over his sheep. But when David wrote this, he wrote this to God as a song of God singing over his sheep, which is us. Amen? And so it's not a death song, psalm. It's a, it's a song of life that thrives when we are led by the good shepherd. And, and, and it's for us to know that the greatness of God surrounds his presence with us. When you, when you read that, it is, the, it is the greatness of who God is that surrounds us in his presence. Amen. So, let's, so why don't we read that, okay? Most of you could quote it, but I'm going to read it. This is from the New King James Version. It's uh, verse 1. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's good, isn't it? That's just, when you read that, anytime beyond today that you read that or you hear that, I want you to step into that. That needs to be said, not just a psalm that we know and not just familiar words, but it becomes life to the inside of us. To know that God leads us. The good shepherd leads us. And there is things that follow us. So what's behind you? The, 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 the greatest, one of my all-time favorite verses is verse 6. Because I lean into him in verse 6 more than anything. Because even though I'm a, I'm a lead pastor of a church and I've been a Christian for almost 30 years, even though that, I, I still mess up. I'm still human. I still do things that when I get past those things, I regret. I was just praying yesterday and I was like, God, if, if, I, could, if I could experience or, or somehow be revealed to me the guilt and the shame that I feel after I do something wrong, if he could do it before I do something wrong, then I wouldn't do what I'm getting ready to do, right? Or what I've done. I, I, I'm like, I was out mowing the yard yesterday. I was like, why, why does that not, I, I, help me, help me God. Because I still mess up a lot. And, and so that verse six, he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Amen. All the days of my life. And what it reveals, that, that scripture reveals, is that as Christians, goodness and mercy shall follow us. I love the word follow. The word follow means to attend closely, to chase or pursue. And as I was looking that up in the Strong's Concordance, what that word means, there was even a place in there that says dog. D-O-G, dog. I'm like, every good shepherd has a dog, right? He's always got a dog. He says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy is going to dog you. It's going to dog you. See, the, the, the task of a dog to a shepherd is to alert. You know, the dogs usually stay behind, 
and they alert if some enemy is coming against the sheep. Some predator is there. The dog alerts the shepherd. He creates a barrier between the, the, the predator and the sheep, and he defends. Somebody put a, a post on Facebook last week, and I, I saved that picture. I didn't, I didn't bring it, but it just reminded me. There's this, uh, this herd of sheep, and there's a, like a great Pyrenees, like a, is an all-white dog, but his head was covered in blood. And the sheep was tending to that dog, you know, coming up to it and, and looking over that dog who had just protected the sheep from a wolf. And he's bloody because he, laid, he would lay down his life for those sheep. And so what, what a dog does, uh, you know, the good shepherd leads the sheep into other pastures, but the dogs that are behind lead the sheep to that pasture. They, they, they're not out front leaders, they're leaders from behind. She, our dogs lead the sheep from behind. Now that's, that's, that's kind of a, um, a paradox because leading we usually see is out front. But there's also a, a space of leading from behind. And, and I found this scripture a long time ago in Isaiah 30 verse 21 the Lord is saying to the prophet Isaiah, he says, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left, you hear that voice. It's the voice behind you that's leading you from behind into that place. Because sometimes sheep don't always follow the shepherd. Those closest to the shepherd will follow the shepherd across a river or into another pasture. But the dogs are for those people who will not lead, are for those sheep that will not lead by the shepherd, so they lead from behind. Does that make sense? That's such a cool concept. He says, surely goodness. The word goodness that I talked about last week was beauty, excellence, preciousness, and genuine. So when our past begins to haunt us, um, it, it, when our past begins to haunt us and the regrets come and the guilt and the shame come, what happens is that it tries to turn us away from our destiny. It tries to turn us away from our calling. It tries to turn us away from the future that God has for us. If the enemy can get you away from those things that you're going toward, he can keep you down and never let you advance. And it's not because he's standing in front of you keeping you back. It's because he puts things in our brain, in our mind, in our thinking that says that we don't deserve the future. And so um, goodness, what we talked about last weekend was goodness is there to, to turn us back. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. My wife reminded me on the way home last week, and I didn't use this verse, but she reminded me that Romans 2, 4, it says that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Repentance is that turning back to God. And it's His goodness that's behind us that turns us back to God. Amen? And so with that... Um, well, we've got to see that here in, in Psalm 23 that it's not only goodness, that's not enough to God. God gives us His goodness and He gives us mercy. Mercy. So I want to, I want to give you a little um, prelude into what we're going to talk about today with mercy. In 1988, my dad, who was a paint and body man, he was not a cowboy at all. Um, my dad loves, loved cars, and in 1988, he bought a brand new 1988 Chevrolet short wide pickup because it was the first year when they come out of the square bodies into the round bodies, and dad loved that design concept. So he went out and bought a brand spanking new one. Being a body man, he took it from the lot and took it straight to the shop and lowered it, <laughs> put a lowering kit on it, he lowered it, then took it to the tire shop and bought some fancy wheels and tires for it. And then he put a computer chip in it to make it fast. 
It was such a cool little truck. My dad loved it. I loved it. So I asked him one Friday night if I could take it out cruising. What? <laughs> well, I did. I took it out cruising, and, and uh, one Friday night or Saturday night, it was on the weekend, but I was running down the road where we cruised, and a lot of us cruised at. It was late into the evening, so most people had started going home. The, the streets were pretty empty. So I, I come driving up to a, a, a traffic light, a stoplight, and I'm sitting there at the, at the uh, intersection at a stoplight, and my best friend in the world pulls up beside me in his 87 Monte Carlo that had been altered a little bit. So he pulls up beside me. I look over him. Okay, we know what's going on. As soon as that light turned green, we shot out of there. About five or 600 feet down the road, we, we backed out of it, and we just was playing around and stuff like that. But by the time we got to the next light, I looked in my rearview mirror and I saw red and blue lights coming at me fast. So I hit the left-hand turn lane, my friend hit the right-hand turn lane, and we were going to split this guy out. The light turns red. So we both come to a stop. The cop pulls up between us. He gets on his intercom and he says, you in the blue car, turn right and stop. You in the white pickup, you follow him. Ugh. Two and one. He got two and one. He was the winner for the night. And so he, he wrote us both tickets for drag racing on the public street. Speeding holds a certain fine, depending on how fast you're going. Drag racing holds no fine. It is a direct date with a judge. And he gave us a court date. Right there on the side of the road at 1 o'clock in the morning, he gives us a court date. Well, my, my buddy that I was drag racing, or that we were just playing around, um... <laughs> He was fixing to go work out of town, so he got an earlier court date than, than what mine was. He called and got an earlier date. Well, he went in there to the judge, and he sat there in front of the judge. Two guys on the docket before him were caught drag racing. So each one of those guys, when the judge passed down his gavel, he sent those two guys directly to jail for 20 days. So my buddy is sweating it. So he gets up there, and the judge looks at him. He says, I see that you're here because you were drag racing. Here's my suggestion. You get a lawyer and come back, or you're going to end up like those guys. So my, what did my friend do? He called me, and he says, you get a lawyer. So my dad, being the guy that he was, had his lawyer on retainer. I could tell you stories there. So my dad got a hold of his lawyer to be my lawyer when I went to court. So I showed up in court, and I didn't have to say a word because my lawyer spoke for me. He got up and pled for me. He, he, he put in a plea uh, for me, and, and, and I pleaded guilty. I, I was guilty. And, and so my lawyer spoke for me. And after he was done, the judge goes, I want to talk to him. I said, yes, sir. And he said, I got a question for you. He says, what were you driving? I said, I was driving a Chevy pickup. He says, well, who, were, who you were racing, what were they driving? I said, a Monte Carlo. He says, you drove a pickup? I said, yes, sir. He said, why even bother? And I said, because I could beat him, sir. <laughs> and he chuckled. And he looked down and he says, you know what? That's not the answer that I'd give a man that holds my fate in his hands. <laughs> but he said, I do appreciate your honesty. And, and you brought your counsel with you. He says, so this is what I say. 
$200 in court costs, and I never want to see you in my courtroom again. I call that mercy. That was mercy. Because he'd sent two guys before us directly to jail for 20 days. I'm too cute to be in jail. That ain't funny. No, that was mercy. And, and um, I believe mercy. I believe in mercy. Because God's the same way. He's the righteous judge. And when we've got Jesus... And he pleads for us. Amen. So I heard a saying a few years ago that um, justice is this. Justice is getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Y'all follow that? Justice is getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And so in that situation that I was at, knowing that, knowing before I stepped into the courtroom what justice would be, there was mercy from that judge. Because he did not give me what I did deserve. And, and so, you know, so many times people confuse grace and mercy. And, and so um, the definition of grace, besides what I just gave you, the definition of grace that a lot of people use is it is unmerited favor. The word unmerited means undeserved. That's what grace is. But here's the definition of mercy In the Bible, it is unfailing kindness. Grace is unmerited or undeserved favor, but mercy is unfailing kindness. God has an unfailing kindness for us. I don't care what you've done. And now listen, I'm not talking about a license to sin. I'm not talking about that, oh, I've got mercy, so I can go do whatever I want and lean into His mercy. No, it's when you mess up, when when you're human ways put you into a situation where you mess up, there's where mercy comes in. That's when we can have it because it's his unfailing kindness that we are alive and breathing after we sin. Because what we deserve, the wages of sin is death. That's what Romans says. So here in in Psalm 23, where where David is writing this, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. He is is my good shepherd. In 1 John, Jesus, uh, Jesus is described as the good shepherd. He describes himself as the good shepherd. To lead you, his desire is to lead you into abundant life. And so, um, abundant life is, according to Psalm 23, is he leads you into the best pastures. He leads you beside the peaceful waters. And He leads you down right paths, paths of righteousness. And so when, when we know that, we know that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. First John says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. So the Good Shepherd who leads out front is full of grace and truth. That's where grace comes in. As grace leads us in this walk. But it's goodness and mercy that follow behind us. Grace leads out front. Mercy leads from behind. I love grace. I love that grace place. I love mountaintop living. I love being on top of the mountain where the, where the grasses are, are lush and green where the rivers flow pure. I love being in that place. But we don't live all of our life on one mountain. When we're, when we're Christians, we don't live that life on one mountain. We live it from mountaintop to mountaintop. But the only way that you can get from one mountaintop that God has for you to the next mountaintop is you've got to come off the mountaintop and go through the valley. 
And David describes that as the valley of the shadow of death. He says, yay, though I walk. The word yay means not yay. It means indeed. It means that there's no one going to miss out on going through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't, get to, you don't get to helicopter from one mountain to the other. You have to go down. The sheep have to go down into the valley of the shadow of death. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I call that valley two. T-O. One, one little two-letter word, two. That's what the valley is. Because when you're, what the Bible says, going from, from faith to faith, what we've got to understand is there's a two in between. And the two's not short a lot of times. From glory to glory means that you have to go through a valley. Psalm 84 says from strength to strength. And that two is that valley. That valley of the shadow of death. It's that valley where we, we get down there in, in, in a place where the shadows happen. On top of the mountain, you're, you're on top. You've got full light, but it's down in the valley that the shadows happen. Am I making sense to y'all? It's grace that leads us into the two, the valley of the shadow of death. See, the valley is dark and it's foggy. And the possibility or the realness of that darkness makes us begin to think about death. And death, the possibility of death can paralyze us with fear. Those possibilities that, that, that death brings in that valley, a lot of times that valley is a diagnosis. That valley may be an addiction. That valley may be guilt. It may be shame. It may be regret. It's those things, those valleys that tries to paralyze us with fear of dying. Literally. And it's in that, that, that darkness and that foggy place, it's in that place that we lose sight of grace. That grace that's leading us. A lot of times we can get, get so enamored with regret and guilt and shame and whatever is going on in our life in that valley of the shadow of death. We lose sight of grace. That's why we need mercy. Because mercy is going to keep us moving through the valley. It's going to keep us moving through times when we feel abandoned. We feel alone. We feel rejected. We feel forsaken. We start that dialogue on the inside of us that says, you know, my past must be catching up with me. Maybe God didn't take care of my past the way that I thought he did or the way that preacher said that he would. And it starts to, you know, get dark around us. And, and in that darkness, we, we start that dialogue of, of maybe my past is catching up with me or what, what have I done to deserve this? Did you hear that? Yes. What have I done to deserve this? That's, that's regret. That's guilt. That's shame. That's blame. Blame on us. And what happens is when we get in that place, we start expecting, we start expecting that justice must be served. And we try to bring justice whenever grace is in front of us and mercy is behind us. That's, that's really been a reality to me over the last six years. Because I, was, I, I saw the symptoms going on in my body six years ago, but five years ago, almost five years ago, I was diagnosed. And, and in that, I started thinking... What have I done to deserve this? Or is this my past catching up with me? Is this, you know, the, the reason that my brain is not functioning and producing the things that it needs to produce is because of what I've done in my past. There is, that, that's wrong. If I really believe Psalm 23 that says that the good shepherd leads me and, and, and goodness and mercy follow me, all the days of my life, why would I start thinking on those things? It's because the enemy works in shadows. 
I've, I've had that dialogue. Is, is this my valley? Is this my last valley? Is this where I die? Is this what I do for the rest of my life? When and where are my next mountaintops? I mean, I've, I've had that conversation with myself. I've had that conversation with God. I've had that conversation with my wife. And what I have found out, it's just two. It's just two. Because what I'm discovering is that faith, to faith, means that two exposes a little bit of doubt in my life. And if it exposes that, then I can repent and go with grace to the next mountaintop. The glory, to glory, means that, that there's something negative in between that I need to come up a level to get to the next mountaintop. Strength to strength. Strength means i got to find a little bit of weakness. There's a little weakness there that I need to take care of so that I can get to the next mountaintop. And that's what we all deal with. Not just me. It's what we all deal with. And you, you may be living in that today. If you, if you would go to Mark chapter 5. And I'm going to switch Bibles. Mark chapter 5. I meant to mark my mark, and I didn't mark my mark. Mark chapter 5. Jesus is, in in Mark chapter 5, Jesus is, um, he's, he's just came back to Nazareth from being across the sea. He, he, he boated over to the other side of the sea and, and got this guy delivered of a thousand demons. This guy was living in a graveyard with a thousand demons possessing him, and Jesus went and freed him of those thousand demons and sent them into pigs. Jesus didn't like pork. But in that, he did, he did, he did that. I know some of y'all, some of y'all are going, oh. I don't know if I can be a Christian now. I got to have my bacon. Um, anyways, uh, so Jesus has come back across the sea, back into Nazareth where he was from, back into that region. And when he steps off the boat, the people that were waiting on him, he, it, it, the, the Bible says it was a throng of people. I don't know what a throng of people are, but it's a bunch. It's a multitude. And so... Jesus has stepped off the boat and all these people around him. And there was one man that came through that crowd that had a lot of influence in that area. So people parted for this guy. His name was Jairus. And Jairus, the Bible says, was a ruler of the synagogue. So they knew that he had access, that people parted so that Jairus could get to him. Jairus tells Jesus, he says, look, my, my little girl, she's 12 years old. She's at home. She's sick and dying and she's close to death, and I need you to come and raise her up. So Jesus said, all right, cool, let's go. Get me out of this crowd, Jairus. And so they start walking towards Jairus' house. And as they're walking through there, a lady that was sick came to Jesus. And that's what I want to talk about real quick. Uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 25. I'm going to use the Passion Translation. It says, Now in the crowd that day was a woman who had suffered horribly from continual bleeding for 12 years. She had endured great, a great deal under the care of various doctors, yet in spite of spending all she had on treatments, she was not getting better but worse. When she heard about Jesus' healing power... She pushed through the crowd and came up from behind him and touched his prayer shawl. For she kept saying to herself, if only I could touch his clothes, I know that I would be healed. As soon as her hand touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped and she knew it for she could feel her body instantly being healed from her disease, of her disease. Now, maybe you've heard about this woman with the, what the Bible calls an issue of blood. She, had a, she was hemorrhaging. She had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. And, and she was getting worse. And she had done all she could in order for um, her to be healed. She spent all of her money. She spent, um, you know, 
countless days and months with treatments that were not making her better, but she was getting worse. And so what I love about this story is that Jairus, who Jesus was following, was the ruler of the synagogue, which meant Jairus had the responsibility as the ruler of the synagogue to guard and execute the word of God, the law of God. And, and by law, this woman with the issue of blood, because she was bleeding, hemorrhaging in her body, she was not allowed to come into public. She lived out of town. She had been secluded. I think she was probably feeling abandoned. She was feeling alone. She can't be around her family. She can't be around people. But she had heard that, that uh, Jesus was coming. So by law, that woman was not supposed to be drag racing. I mean, oh, she wasn't supposed to be in public. Y'all get that later. She had this issue in her body for 12 years. I can relate to her frustration. I'm, I'm sure you probably could too, in some form or fashion. So I, I love this story about her tenacity to come up to Jesus and risk Jairus holding justice over her. She, because if she were to come into public bleeding the way that she was, they could stone her to death for the condition that was going on in her body. But she didn't care. She had spent everything that she had, and she didn't care. I, I like what the new commentary of the, the, I think it's called the new commentary of the whole Bible, says, this is what it says about her. Her condition was a very sad condition a condition that epitomizes the fallen state of man and the hopelessness of all human remedies or spiritual, for spiritual maladies. What, what that means there is that she had been saying, what have I done to deserve this? Just like fallen man, just like living in sin, you know, when, when we're diagnosed or we have an addiction or, or th- something bad is coming against us, a lot of times we can say, why, why is this, this is coming against me because, I pro- because I've sinned and that God's just tired of his mercy in my life, right? And so that's what the fallen state of man is. It, it brings about a hopelessness. She was hopeless and she felt like a sinner, but she heard that Jesus was coming to town. And she did. She dragged herself from that place of abandonment and from being alone. She dragged herself into that place where when she touched his clothes, it healed her body. Her faith made her well, is what Jesus said. What's behind you? Goodness and mercy. See, when we get stuck and paralyzed by fear and the darkness and the depression and the regret begins to pour on you, that shadow that over encompasses you. It's the sheepdog of mercy that's there. It leads us from behind, pushing us back to grace so that we can be in that grace place. See, Jairus could have ordered her stoned, killed right there in the street, but mercy changed everything for her. Are you with me? Yes. There was something behind her that pushed her forward, that drove her to be with Jesus. And it says that she came up behind him. See, Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is that grace. That mercy pushed her behind grace. Are you following me? Because that grace place is the path of the good shepherd. She came up behind him and touched him. It, it led her out of the valley of the shadow of death. It brought her to another mountaintop. It brought her to her next mountaintop. 
mercy changed everything. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fell short of the glory of God in Romans chapter 3. In other words, we all have a past. We all have regrets. We all have things in our past that could haunt us that we're, you think back on and you go, man, I wish I'd never done that. But 1 John chapter 2 says that we have an advocate through Jesus. That word advocate means a defense attorney. Uh, attorney. It means that he pleads our cause. When I was in that courtroom that day, I had an attorney that I didn't have to speak. He pled my cause. Right? Jesus is our attorney. He's not only the good shepherd, but he is the attorney. He's the advocate in order to plead our cause, to defend us as his sheep. So when the enemy wants justice to get what we deserve for our past, Jesus is our advocate that pleads mercy and not getting what we do deserve. And he turns us to our good shepherd, grace getting what we do not deserve. So imagine this, if you would. Just imagine this. You can come on up. Imagine your life not living under the shadow of death. Imagine your life that you never have to worry about when you go through the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, when you're in that two place that you never have to worry about staying there or that this is your last valley. Imagine what that would be like. Well, with Jesus, the good shepherd leading us, he's going to lead us to that next place. But when the shadow gets so dark that you can't see grace, understand that you've got goodness and mercy that follow you all the days of your life. Imagine having goodness and mercy chomping at your heels, keeping you moving through the valley of the shadow. Sometimes the valley, just ask this lady, when you get to heaven, ask this lady, what 12 years with a diagnosis of dying feels like and what it feels like for Jesus to restore you and bring you to the next mountaintop. Today, if you feel like you've been in the valley of the shadow of death or you're there right now, if you feel that that is something that you are relating to as I'm talking this morning, if you feel like you've been in the valley of the shadow of death and you're there, would you stand up? I'm already standing up, so I'm with you. Because this is what I this is what I I want for you today. I heard somebody say uh, it was another pastor. I think it's Pastor Craig Groeschel that said it. He said, "If you're not dead, you're not done." You are in the valley of the shadow of death. It's merely a shadow. You've got grace in front of you. You've got goodness and mercy behind you. You're going through. And and if you're not dead, you're not done. This is not a place to die. If you would, if you're standing up, if you would just close your eyes for a second. What's behind you? What's behind you? See, there's another mountaintop that that God has taken you to. And we have to believe, we have to believe what it says in Philippians chapter 1. It says that God who has begun, begun a new work in you or begun a work in you will bring it to completion. The valley of the shadow of death is not where you die. But he's going to complete it and bring you to the next mountaintop of your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, everybody loves this one. It says that he gives you a future and a hope. Do you really believe that he gives you a future and a hope? Then you'll go through the valley of the shadow of death. It's time to come out. It's time to allow goodness and mercy to get you moving forward, to get us moving forward.
I'm ready to come out. Are you ready to come out? You know, this, this world talks about coming out. But really, for us, Jesus and goodness and mercy are bringing us out. We're coming out. So here's what I want you to say. If you're, if you're standing there with your eyes closed, maybe you're watching on Facebook Live, and just say this with me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy. Say it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'm coming out. I'm coming out. I'm coming out. Do you receive that this morning? Goodness and mercy. What's behind you? Goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. The beauty, you can sit down if you want. The beauty of who God is. And the the place of mercy, that 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 place of um, what did I say? Something un, un, something kindness. You gotta go back. What's that? Somebody said it. Unfailing. His unfailing kindness is redeeming you and pushing you back to that next mountaintop. Are you ready for that? Amen. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. And thank you for loving us, God. Father, one of your scriptures in the Word says that your mercies are new every morning. And so this morning, God, we receive new mercy. We step into new mercy, knowing that you're pushing us to our next mountaintop. Father, I thank you for the lush grass that we're going to get ready to to partake of, of the fresh waters that we're getting ready to take of, the the waters of peace, the waters, the, the, the paths of righteousness that you're bringing. Father, I thank you so much for what you're doing. I thank you that today we have made a stand. We have made a place to go to your next grace place. We thank you for that. Father, I pray once again that if there's anyone here under the sound of my voice or listening by Facebook or podcast, whatever, wherever somebody's hearing this today, I pray, God, that if they never received you as Jesus, Lord and Savior, the good shepherd, if they've never received you as their good shepherd, I pray that today they would say yes to what you did on that cross when you pled our cause on the cross. We say yes to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.